Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fit the Mission. If you've been reading The Chronicle for a while and you have any interest in the outdoors, you've probably come across Tom Steenstra. Tom is one of California's most prolific outdoors writers. He's a guidebook author and a columnist who has written for The Hearst Examiner and The Chronicle for more than 40 years. If there's a hike you're curious about, Tom has probably walked it. If there's a lake you've admired, Tom has probably boated on it and fished in it. He wears a black cowboy hat and a grizzly bear talon necklace. Over years of backcountry adventures, he's collected his fair share of campfire stories and close calls. But in August 2021, he had a brush with death he never saw coming. A stubborn cough led to chest x-rays that revealed tumors in his lungs, brain, liver, and throughout much of his body. The doctors who performed his first two brain surgeries gave him a 50% chance of surviving the week. But Tom pulled through. And last week, he shared his story with Chronicle readers in an intimate essay. Today, he's here to share his wisdom with you and what it's like to face death and to seize life again and again. Tom Steenstra, so nice to have you on Fifth Emission. It's a pleasure being here. Pleasure to be alive, in fact. (laughs) Absolutely. And such a pleasure to have you on. Tom, you've written hundreds, if not thousands, of articles for The Chronicle, but last week you published something pretty different, a personal essay about your battle with cancer over the last two years. Tell me, what was it like to write that piece? Well, it was very unusual because most of the time I try to stay out of the way of every story I've ever done. In this case, Emilio, our executive editor, took me aside and said, no, we want the opposite. We want to put the reader right with you and everything you've been through, not only in the hospital, but in the great outdoors and some of the unbelievable encounters you've had. You know, in the past, I was always pushed aside and not always able to tell those stories. But that's exactly how it went. It was very easy, unusual, and very fun to do. Mm-hmm. And you've received so much positive feedback on that story. And I want to share a quote from one of the letters we got. It was from a man named John Stedman in San Francisco. And he says, quote, Tom can be assured there are many admirers who have benefited from his writing because they have found new resources for outdoor activities and also because they responded with pleasure to a man of such courage and vibrance for life. Tom, how does it make you feel to receive that kind of response? It's incredible because when I started doing this as my job, it was my personal intent to try to live every day like it was a dream in the outdoors and then capture what I had experienced and communicate that through the written word. And in the process, try to connect with every single reader. And um, there was a lot of times I might have missed the mark, but sometimes being out in the wilderness, you'd come across these people and surprise encounters, and they would take me aside and thank me for some some place I had 
brought them to, mm. in which they themselves went and took that same adventure. Now, for over 40 years, you've been an outdoors writer, but you used to report on other beats. You were a sports writer for some time, too. How did you figure out that the outdoors was the best fit for your career? Well, I always loved fishing, hiking, and camping more than anything. I love traveling. When my family went on trips, they might go to sleep. I would always be right next to my dad and looking at everything. There's nothing I didn't want to see and take part of. And uh, I became a professionally trained sports writer. And at age 23, I was at the top of my field. I was covering the you know, professional sports. There's one game in Green Bay, Wisconsin, covering the Raiders versus the Packers. And it hit me. There were 70,000 people in need of a hike watching 22 guys in need of a rest. And I could <laughs> see my whole future that I was going to be on the wrong side of the game. I wanted to be in the game. And so when I went back to my newspaper, I told them I wanted to be the outdoors writer and um, I ended up quitting. And they said I'd never get another job. It seemed like a dream, but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It became a job. And I wanted to do something where I was in the game, out traveling, camping with my dog, fishing and kayaking, canoeing, boating, everything you can imagine out there. And mm -hmm. uh, that became my mission. And you've done a wonderful job, clearly, seeing where your career has led you. I want to bring up the health issues that you've had to deal with in recent years. In your last piece, you talked about never anticipating getting a cancer diagnosis that you received in 2021. You've been so active, so fit and healthy. Do you think being outdoors gave you a sense of maybe invincibility in some way? How did your relationship to nature and the outdoors inform your life perspective up until that diagnosis? My whole thing is to do something every day. There's always someplace great in California that's world-class every day of the year. I don't care what the weather's doing. It's findable. That's what I made it my mission. And even as the uh, retired outdoors writer, where they still let me write two, three times a week, I started coughing. And we, my wife and me had a day where we, uh, three days where we climbed up Mount Shasta off trail, went up to about 10,000 feet and above tree line. And then uh, we canyoneered down a a little creek, about 15-mile round trip. And we rode our bikes early in the morning and did about a 20-mile trip. And uh, the whole time I kept coughing. And we figured it was from particles in fire smoke that mm -hmm. summer and uh, went to the doctor twice. And both times they tested my lungs, my heart. They listened close. One of them said, man, we wish all of our sick people sounded like you. And my wife has um, real extreme medical skills and urged them to assign me to get a lung x-ray We at a hospital. We did that, and it came up that I had this massive tumor in my right lung along with several other smaller ones. It was devastating to me because I live very healthy. Don't smoke. Mm -hmm. Don't do drugs. Eat right. Keep fit. Keep excited and happy about everything. And... Um, Boy, that was devastating news. But uh, that's how we found out. Certainly did not feel invincible. Mm -hmm. And during that time, 
you had to halt being outdoors. You had to focus your attention on surviving this cancer. And you've said in the past that you need to walk every day. You compared yourself like a dog. You have to take a walk every single day. Outdoors has been such a staple of how you live your life, how you've done your career. What was it like to halt that? Well, it was frustrating, of course. You know, I I went from not being able to walk to a wheelchair, from a wheelchair to a pusher, and and then from there to a cane. And then one day I just threw the cane aside and say, I don't care, I'm walking. And my wife said, yeah, you look like you're out of night of the living dead. She said, I look like a zombie walking down the street. And everybody would wave at me going, come on, Tom, go, man. And I'm staggering around. But uh, that's how you start. And every day, you have to try to extend it a little bit more. I did it again this morning. I was up at 645 walking in the snow. Mm. It's like you just have to keep reaching forward. Mm-hmm. Now, your cancer diagnosis hasn't been your first brush with death. You wrote about a near-drowning experience on a canoe fishing trip in the 1980s. You've been charged by a 1,000-pound grizzly bear and a wild cow. Describe in detail one of these experiences Mm. for me, maybe the one that most prepare you for this kind of survival, your fight with cancer. Well, probably up in Alaska, I was fly fishing the Marine River for huge rainbow trout. I caught some of my life best on that trip. And after releasing one, I looked up, I felt like somebody was watching me. And there was a thousand pound grizzly bear on the other side of the river on a bluff top looking straight down at me. And I just started moving away. And again, I was waist deep in the river, so I couldn't move very fast. And that giant bear came down full blast. He hit that deep hole like somebody had dropped a Volkswagen out of a helicopter. That's how hard he hit. Mm. And and I really thought I could I can just see the story in the front page of the Chronicle. Grizzly bear nails Tom. (laughs) Anyway, I just kept working away from him slowly. He swam across so he couldn't go too fast, about the same speed I was moving. And he went to right where I was standing. By then, I had about the same amount of distance away from him upstream. And he went berserk in front of me. He swung around. He slapped the water. He, he grunted and growled and he and he swirled and then he went all the way in the water and came up and stood at me looking at me and now I'm still moving away I'm a little farther away now and he looked right at me and our eyes connected and I realized he was giving me a message this is my fishing spot not yours <laughs> and I go it's a deal and I just kept moving away and he he kept he stayed right there and that was fine with me but I've seen about 500 bears in my life, and I've snuck up on many in the at night. And I love going up. You just go up and you go, "Hey, boo boo," or "boo," <laughs> and they they go into complete hysterics and run away. I had one that ran away and knocked over an apple tree, just flat on the ground, and then ran into a storage container and made a huge bong like somebody hitting it with a, a bass drum. And uh, just incredible moments, though. Tom, is that what it takes to scare off a a bear? Just call it (laughs) boo-boo? Yeah, actually, there's very few animals I'm afraid of. Um, Mm. I'm afraid of mountain lions. That's about it. Um, I really keep my distance from them. And uh, most bears are pretty docile, actually. 
there are some rules. The two and three-year-olds are the dangerous ones. You keep your distance from them. You know where they are, and you stay away. More with Tom Steenstra after a quick break. While battling cancer, Tom followed former San Francisco Giants manager and longtime friend Dusty Baker's philosophy of life. He'll share what that is. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. If you have a comment or there's a story you think we should cover, let us know. You can email us at fifth, that's F-I-F-T-H, at sfchronicle.com, or leave us a voicemail at 415-777-6156. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Tom, in your piece, you mentioned that over the years, readers have reached out to you after getting diagnosed with cancer themselves, and they wanted advice on places to visit, special adventures to have. And you wrote that after you returned home from getting treatment at Stanford, you and your wife planned a trip to Kauai. I wanted to ask, why Kauai? When I was in the hospital, Dusty Baker sent me six notes. He's an old friend of mine for 25 years. He's a really eloquent old soul. And he said, one of the things he said was, you have to always have something small to look forward to. It doesn't have to be a world-class fishing trip or go a bucket list. He goes, forget bucket list. You need small things and your body will figure out how to stay alive to do that. And he he called me from Kauai. And I said, yeah, there's a beach over there. It's called Lumahai Beach. I've been there with nobody else there. I go, I would just, there's a little cove. You can go in away from any kind of tidal surge. I said, I would just love to be able to go in that cove up to my knee deep in that warm Hawaii water. Mm. And he says, there you go. (laughs) And that's what we did. We booked a trip to Kauai. And I have to tell you that when I walked out in that water, it was as magic as anything I've ever done. As good as catching a world record fish or having a bear at 20 feet or just running your boat and having a hundred fish day catching bass. No, this is nothing like that. It isn't about ego. It's about a magic moment that's unrepeatable in your life. Mm. Well, Tom, in addition to that cove you described in Kauai, I mean, you have written about these beautiful, distant, maybe obscure places all over. And you've encouraged Chronicle readers to follow paths that are less beaten. Do you still have secret spots that maybe you keep to yourself? Actually, I don't need to because Mm. I can always find a place every single day of the year that's magic. And it's like people find it hard to believe. And I go, man, I wish I could just take you for an airplane ride and show you what California looks like when you get out of a car because people get stuck in the Bay Area driving on the roads. I call it the tunnel syndrome. All they see 
are the brake lights ahead of them and all the cars and their headlights behind them. And it's like they're in this tunnel. When up in the air, you look down and that represents less than 1% of California. And so just by going over the hill, even just like on 280, on Palo Alto, there's a hill I could show you, just go over the top of it. And there's an incredible bass lake right there. There's, there's places like that everywhere you go. There's 386 lakes you can reach by by vehicle in California. And another about 800 you can hike to that has fishing and campsites. It's like you could go to a different place every day and not repeat for years and years. Mm -hmm. And then when you start adding in other things, like I've done surfing lessons, scuba diving, boating out to the Farallons or going onto the Farallons. I've done all these things. It's like when you expand what's available to you, you can go every day for years and never repeat yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's living because everything is fresh. What's out there is incredible. Take advantage of it. Go. Yeah. Tom, clearly the outdoors has taught you so much. What has getting cancer taught you that your decades outdoors hasn't? Well, we're pretty sure, I talked to all the doctors, and that I probably got exposed in the early part of the 1980s. The first time I climbed Mount Whitney and then did the John Muir Trail, the Yosemite Valley, nobody wore sunscreen. A lot of people hardly wore hats. And we were out there, like above treeline, north of Whitney, you're above treeline for several days in a row, about 12,000 feet. and um, when I climbed Whitney the first time, we had to climb a 2,000-foot snow wall that covered Woden's throne. And uh, my buddy Jeff Patty told me, man, you got a double dose, not only from the sun at 13,000 feet, but reflecting off the snow as well. My brother Bob said, man, you look like a boiled lobster. You're so red. And we thought, and he ended up giving me a hat to wear. Back then, we didn't want anything filtered. We wanted to see everything. So a lot of us didn't wear sunglasses at first. And so I, by being out all the time, many years, over 200 days a year, my exposure to sun was really extreme mm -hmm. and without protection. Mm -hmm. And so the feeling is melanoma cancer is a skin-based cancer that if not treated, it can then metastasize throughout your body. And it happened to me where I not only had tumors throughout my torso, but in my brain. And there, I could see them looking at each other going, this guy's not going to last a week. He's got 10 tumors in his liver. Hey, and in six weeks, they were all gone. Mm. And uh, it was because of the immunotherapy infusion treatment I was getting. The immunotherapy is one of the most incredible inventions. What I've been taking was invented six years ago, that's all. And they're making new finds all the time. I think there were eight new finds this year to help treat immunotherapy to where 18 million people have cancer that are still living through it in America right now. And uh, I want to be the poster child for them. Mm. Well, Tom, I would imagine certainly some of your life advice that you would pass along now is definitely 
definitely prioritize sun protection, sunblock hats. But I also wonder what other kinds of life advice that you pass along now. In your piece you shared, you mentioned your longtime friend and fishing partner, Dusty Baker, who used to manage the Giants. He told you to think about your priorities, make time for the people who matter most, to stay spiritually connected. What's your advice? Well, I am a believer in the Dusty Baker philosophy of life. You know, the people who care for you, who send you cards and letters and phone calls and texts and uh, send you presents and pray for you, don't take that for granted. Those people have your back. They're your net. And you've got to be really nice to those people. And that's been one of my missions. There's a song that goes, I'm just an old lump of coal but I'm going to be a diamond someday and I'm going to be the world's best friend. And that's what I'm really trying to do now with the people that have had my back, especially my doctors, my wife, my brother, my best friends. And then there's other people. All they care about is what's good for them. And the moment it's not good for them, they're gone. You know what? Dusty said, you just can't waste time chasing those people because they'll let you down sooner or later, even though your mutual interests may combine into something successful at some point. In the long run, if it isn't good just for them, they're not going to be there for you. Mm -hmm. That's been very helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, Tom, I love your tales. I love listening to you tell your stories. And I'm especially So glad to see that you're doing well. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I appreciate it. Thank you. And don't be surprised on your next trip if you don't see me out there because I am out there all the time. (laughs) I hope to see you out there. I hope to see you out there. Thank you, Tom. Tom Steenstra is an outdoors writer emeritus at The Chronicle. You can find his encyclopedic knowledge of the California outdoors online at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thank you to King Kaufman and Sarah Feldberg for producing and editing this episode and to you for listening.